0: Welcome to the Jay Davis Show. Today I'll be co-hosting with my friend Jess Larson. Jess, do you want to kick us off? Today on the show we're doing our mini series on startup marketing geniuses. Today we've got David Littlejohn, co-founder and chief creative officer at Humanot. David, thanks for making time. Great to be here. This sounds fun. For the rare person who hasn't seen one of Jay and I's favorite campaigns of all time, <laughs> "Save the Bros," and, and they don't know Humanot, can you give us the elevator pitch?
1: We like to say humanauts. Our, our mission is getting good things inside people's brains. We are an advertising agency that really specializes in emerging brands, challenger brands, and those sort of fast growing startups that really do have a unique thing that they're you know doing. They, they have a problem they're trying to solve. They're challenging what's out there. And we just find that those people have a really, a much tougher time marketing themselves than say Snickers, that can just say, hey, grab a Snickers, like high awareness. You are you already heard of it. And so we just love figuring out, like, how do you take these new ideas and communicate that, bring them down to earth for people and then also just get them really excited. So it's it's raising awareness and it's also like establishing your brand all in about six seconds to capture someone's attention and break through in what's like a crazy crowded marketing environment now.
0: And I think the reason that we tried to hunt you guys down and see if we could get you to come on the show is there's a lot of people who have backgrounds as copywriters or being in the advertising space who can talk a good game, but you guys legitimately have the results to back it up. Can you brag for just a second about some of the reach of some of
1: these campaigns you've done? We're actually a relatively young agency. We're about to have our six year anniversary, and I think that we came up right when there was a totally new opportunity for brands that really hadn't been there, which was you know video production costs were starting to come down and you had this new delivery device called the internet but more specifically social media facebook twitter youtube and so we sort of realized that like the brands that we were working with they didn't have monster crazy budgets to pump 20 million dollars of tv advertising at people and that the work that we needed to do, like had to capture your attention and be shareable. You had to capture still it in five seconds and then make them want to stick around for the whole story. And then also at the end of it, actually want to share it with friends. So, in the early days, specifically designed our campaigns for shareability. And especially in those first few years, just had a lot of viral successes. Save the bros, like hitting millions of views just in the first week, and then going on to tons and millions more people to the point where, like, yeah, like you guys saw it. And it was so cool when your friends and people that you know and don't know are saying like, oh yeah, I just saw that. It showed us that that the work was working and also that the press was writing about it. And then we also, you know, we've done things, even though we've worked with with sort of smaller, smaller campaigns like that, even when we worked with slightly bigger brands like SodaStream, for a Super Bowl spot. Like we designed that whole campaign to be pressworthy and shareable, And so we're always thinking about like, how does an advertisement become a part of culture? How does it become a story that you wanna talk about? And we've done that for the organic industry with a campaign called the natural effect, which exposed like how much BS the word natural is in marketing, which was incredibly viral. And then we've just gone on to create work that we use the metric of like, would you watch this and share this with a friend? Would you talk about it? And that's kind of all that matters to us. Like the words don't matter. It just comes down to, can we make things that people love and that really also change people's minds and change people's behavior, which is what this game is all about.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Can you tell me as you're as you're looking at... Starting a project, what is kind of that that key thing that you're looking for as you're starting to build out that strategy for someone who doesn't have as much budget, but they're trying to overtake kind of an incumbent brand that's been around forever? How do you kind of approach the strategy there?
1: It's really getting to the heart of the challenge of the work. I say this a lot to to brands and companies, and it's a little like surprising and startling, but it's true. And the reality is, I think brands just need to realize. Uh, they're like, no one cares about you. No one is waiting to hear about your thing. Like they don't know about you probably, you're interrupting them and you probably have some sort of like, you're asking them to change what they do. And like, they're trying to figure out like what did Beyonce do today? Like the idea that your little startup brand or your little app that it has importance in their life is a little bit egotistical. And so we sort of just set the bar like right there and go like, Let's just start with the fact that, like, we're interrupting a person who has an interesting life with their own things they want to do, and we're about to interrupt them. And so that's sort of like it's our job as people building brands to to really think deeply about the brand, to think about what it means, and we can get caught up in that. And so I think the first thing we do is reset and just go like, hey, let's look at our customer, let's look at the person that we're trying to reach, and realize that like you're not even in their spectrum right now of of what they're thinking about. So let's start there. Then let's start thinking about like, well, how could you be relevant to them? Like, how could you say something that would actually add value to their life? That could be a part of their, you know, daily conversation with people. And so there's an exercise literally sort of mapping the culture and figuring out where a brand fits inside a person's mind and, and sort of what their preconceived ideas are. And, and you're also looking for like the most, The closest thing that is relevant to that. And I think Save the Bros is a great example. We took an organic company. So for anyone who doesn't know what Save the Bros is, it it was a campaign for Organic Valley. They make organic eggs, cheese, butter, cream, milk, obviously. So they had made an organic protein shake. And the sort of the tension there of like these organic, you know, small family farmers out in the middle of Wisconsin and around the country somehow like, you know, having something that's going to add value to CrossFit culture, you know, workout culture, gym culture, there was clearly a tension there. And so we just realized that like, well, what's the, when people think about protein, like what's the closest thing in that, that a lot of people could think about. And so bro culture and, and everyone knows a bro who's working out and chugging a lot of protein that we realized was actually as, even though it was the furthest thing away from Organic Valley's brand, it was the closest thing into relevance. And so we kind of try to, you know, when we literally sometimes are mapping this out, but it, we go, how do we attach something that's, that's really relevant in your category to what maybe out there thing that you're doing? Because bros are not thinking about organic, you know, and so they're creating a really fun surprise intention there. We kind of do that with all the work we do is is figure out like, okay, there's the thing you want to say. Okay, great. Let's make sure that that's the idea that we get across. But then there's the thing that people will actually listen to. There's a thing that will actually break through. And we're really looking for that cross section. Again, if you have a lot of money, you don't have to worry so much about this. You're going to force feed someone to watch your commercial, you know, even though the reality is when people are going to turn away and look at their files anyway, it's your commercial socks. But you can pump it out. If you have less money and you're doing digital marketing, you have to respect the customer's mindset and you have to find kind of a, a Trojan horse way in where you're like, hey, we're going to make this message interesting and relevant to you. And so that's kind of where it starts. And we often find that it leads to really you know, surprising places to go for both us and the client. But you can actually test and see that these campaigns work better because you're actually sort of meeting the customer where they are. And part of that also to us means approaching your advertising with honesty, which is a whole another topic we get into. But if you'll see our work, we really sort of respect the relationship we have with with the customer, which is like, hey, we're a company. You haven't heard of us. We're interrupting you. We actually think you you really want to hear this because we've made something interesting for you. And a lot of brands just want to be really like cool. They want to be like high up in the in the clouds of like, you know, doing cool stuff. And it just creates sort of at a distance where people can go like, I don't care. Like you're an annoying brand, get out of here. And we were to close that distance and, and sort of like honor the fact that like, we're just people like you making stuff. And I think that's what Dollar Shave did so well. And that's why that campaign obviously grew up was, here was a guy that just sort of, talk to you as the founder solving this big problem that you, you face. It's just changing the way brands and especially emerging challenger brands need to be thinking about their marketing when they go out with a message so they don't waste their money and be invisible. I think that's so powerful and kind of going along those
2: lines. I think right now, so many people just want authenticity, like they want a brand to not not try and exactly what you're saying, not try and sell them, not try and go really high up in the clouds and talk about how amazing they are why do you think that's so powerful right now how do you think brands can use that
1: i think any creative person listening to this is is seeing authenticity like literally on every brand brief there is right now and you know there's a few reasons why that word is popping and also why there is something you know important underneath it and i I think one is, is skeptical of BS and I'll tr- keep using the clean frames here, but you know every everyone is skeptical of advertising. Like we kind of know what it is. The game is up. It's the younger people, I mean, y- young people just are, have grown up on advertising and grown up ignoring it. And so you a have to sort of get out of the like cheesy spokesperson everyone's everyone smiling. Like you know, it's like we finally know that like advertising life is not real life. Okay, so so that's out. And so then the the problem is. Brands go, okay, well, then we got to be authentic. You got to connect. And they go, all right, well, how do we appear to be authentic through our casting and the way we shoot it and like the way we script it. But for savvy people, it's still the same BS just now with a much better director or a much better treatment. And I think that the key is, is that to be authentic now, you have to be authentically something, right? You have to actually have something to say in the same way that, for a comedian to be truly funny, they have to say something that's that's real, that, uh, that that's insightful, and that's true. And you know, imagine imagine a comedian just trying to go out on stage and, and try to sound like real stuff. Sometimes they do, and they bomb, right? And I think you've got a lot of brands out there trying to do authenticity and just bombing. And, they, and it, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes to watch. And it's because they don't know who they are, right? Either they don't know who they are, and then they hired an agency to figure out who they are, and the agency doesn't know who they are. And it's possible just that like they may not actually have an interesting thing to say. And the brands are winning. They're either founder-led or they're really smart about actually creating value for their customer, getting getting over themselves and trying to put a stake in the ground. And you can see big brands do this, like Nike, or brands that are willing to sort of piss some people off. Like if you're willing to do that, it shows that you stand for something and you kind of have to prove it. These things, you can't just say, we are nice people who care and we are thinking about you and those are just words. But the more you get brands to sort of put a stake in the ground to do something, suddenly you don't have to worry so much about how you're executing authenticity. You are authentically solving a problem or you're authentically correcting an injustice. And that's where we try to get the brands we work with too, is to, and we actually use the word injustice in our own briefs. We we go like, there's something wrong in the world and it doesn't have to be huge. I'm I'm not saying we got to go like clean up the ocean, but ideally there's something that you stand for and are trying. Can you talk a little bit
0: about your writing process of just, you know, what is it? Like, can you pull back the curtains for people who are like, they've seen the Dollar Shave Club ads or they're familiar with this approach a bit, but they don't know how the sausage gets made. Can you talk a little bit about what that writing process looks like, what that
1: kind of progression to get there becomes? There's sort of two sides to it. And, you know, fair warning, like the creative process is never as I think, you know, sexy or magical as people sort of. I hope it is. It is just a lot of taking shots in the dark and throwing darts and seeing sort of what sparks. And we actually, we're a pretty small agency in the world of agencies, you know, around like 30 people. And we don't have the traditional copywriter art director teams. We're much more structured, a little bit more like a production company. And we actually have writer's rooms instead of sort of these little individual siloed teams that are basically the way that agencies are structured. You basically have all these little agencies of teams inside a big agency and they make the presentations and fight their way to the top to see whose ideas can emerge. We are much more truly collaborative and really using everyone in the office to help build an idea, push it, take it to the next place, putting all of our work up for everyone to see. I'd say it's two things. One is is coming up with a genuine idea, coming, coming up with a true innovation or a truly new way of talking to people or doing something. The other is tone. How do you talk about yourself or talk about your competition and not sound like a jerk or not sound like you're on a high horse? We, we really think about both of those. And you can have a great idea, but that's totally wrong. And it's going to bob. And you can sometimes have a pretty simple idea, but really nail your tone and your voice, and suddenly people listen to you. I think there's a Suja campaign that we have is is a really good example of that. All we're telling people is that organic juice in a bottle is drinking plants. And you can drink plants, take their power. But the tone of that campaign unlocks everything. So anyway, to back up, we call what we asked our creative team to come up with, we call them human audience. They're really simple. They're basically a, a statement about how something is sort of weird or interesting and then a surprising thing that the brand could do. And then we give that, that idea a name. And so what we're looking to do is basically go, hey, if a brand stands for this, then what would they go out and do next? But we don't allow like advertising ideas. We really just force people to come up with things that a brand is going to do. Now, of course, that'll turn into advertising eventually, but we just start with like, and if, if what a brand could do is interesting, then we realize we're on the right track to, to sort of like what that brand is about. And so we start to kind of reverse engineer, you know, how a brand can activate its own authenticity or its own mission. And then we start to look for like, once there start to be more ideas that are sort of falling in this similar place, we realize we're really on to something. But to be honest, we also are looking for Many possibilities, so we'll end up with as many as five different, totally different directions that a campaign could go. So you know, once we've agreed on, like, okay, it's really it gets really interesting when a brand does this out in the in culture. Then we we then go into actually writing the scripts, and we write a bunch of them. And usually, we write really long scripts, like two minute scripts, to make sure that this concept has a ton of interest and weight behind it. Right, like. It's it's really hard to convey a big idea in six seconds. And so we need this to be interesting in the long form. And then we also needed to cut down to six seconds. It's, it's much easier to go from big idea to, to smaller breakthrough moment than tiny breakthrough moment up to big idea. So we write really long form scripts, and then we start thinking about how do we bring that idea to life? A good example would be, we just took a, what's kind of a really unsexy, boring category, the toothpaste category. And realized that it was really cool when a toothpaste company, Hello in this case, that makes all these awesome naturally friendly products with really natural ingredients. Like when they act like a really cool startup, like Lyft or like, you know, Elon Musk, or it gets really interesting. And so we actually created this whole service called Spit where a guy on an electric scooter pulls up with a sink on the back and lets people brush their teeth like all over the street anywhere. And just that sort of tension of, of innovating dramatically in a boring category it showed us where this brand can go and now we're just looking for even more crazy interesting innovations you know that are over the top and sometimes ridiculous for that brand to go into so that's something work out as well.
2: That's awesome. If someone's at home and they have their own startup and they're just kind of getting started, they're not to that point where they're ready to hire an agency. What do you wish people who came and talked to you had done before coming to you? What are some of those things you're like, man, if I were a founder and I was starting out, here's some of the things I would do to really build a great foundation so that when I'm ready to then Go hire an agency like Humanot and do a really great campaign. What do you wish they'd kind of prepped with and gotten done
1: beforehand? It's a great question. There's there's kind of two sides to what I wish people would do. I mean, the first thing that I tell people is, and I've been in this position. I mean, Humanot and myself as a startup founder in other companies can really relate to this, and have made this. I think what happens is you have a great product, you have a great idea, and you're really passionate about it, but you are so kind of focused on your biggest competition and what they're doing. And you're also sort of a little intimidated by the advertising world or or marketing. And what I find is that even the most sort of passionate, aggressive, fearless founders, when they go to start marketing, get super conservative and safe, and they're basically kind of trying to make what looks like traditional advertising for their brand. They're really trying to legitimize their startup, which is this little thing, and trying to make it seem bigger, more polished, more put together. And they basically just sort of like stripped away everything that's cool and interesting about them, which is that they have a unique founder. They are scrappy. They are hustling to fix things. And I just think, again, like no one knows about you. You are invisible, you know? And so the best thing you could do is be willing to just try things and be bold and realize that like the worst thing that's going to happen is that someone's going to notice you (laughs) and like go to your website, you know, or that like you piss some people off and they start talking about you. Like, you know, there's this really great, a a former human and buddy of mine just launched a drinking a a water company. And of course there's a million water companies and, but he called his, his water company liquid death. And the whole branding around it is—it's in a can, it's look, and it looks like a beer, and it's basically marketed to this sort of hardcore, straight edge, like heavy metal audience. And man, they just are getting so much attention, and people are posting their worst reviews on social media. I just think it's a great reminder that like all you need to do is stand out and tell your story because you actually have an authentic story, and yet so many times they're just spending all their time trying to pretend like they're a legit. Boring cookie cutter brand. And so I just first say, like, that's the time to be experimental, to be honest, to put it all out there and be human and make mistakes. Because if you brought that to us, A, we'd have a lot more learning as to what works and what doesn't. We'd have a lot more sense of your tolerance to fear. You know, usually startups come to us, they haven't done anything that quote unquote, like risky or breakthrough yet. And so we kind of have to like walk, hold their hand as we walk through this sort of like, all right, yeah, we're actually going to say something now that people are going to hear because it's different. And it'd be great if they had already started exercising that. And yeah, the only other piece would just, I just wish the startup brands would, they're just so worried about the competition and I get it, but it's like, you really need to focus off why you exist and what you're here to do. And just, we need to hammer that. And the more we, we look at the competition, the more it's going to compromise that unique perspective and the more you're just responding to the category. And I think the truly inspiring startups and brands have come out out of left field, done something so different. And if you're not trying to do that, I think you, you just, again, you risk being invisible, which I think is the biggest fear and danger that any startup brand or emerging brand should really worry about. Can you
0: talk more about this idea of having the guts, like as a startup founder, having the guts to break from the mold?
1: You kind of talk about this on two sides, right? I, I think building your purpose and your brand is a little bit different than advertising, how you're going to go out and tell the world about it. And I think there's two ways of thinking about this word risk in those, in those contexts. I think on the, on the first side of it, being a founder, starting something is incredibly risky. You know, it's like any sort of mathematician looks at the odds and says, this is a horrible thing to do with my time. This is going to fail. And I think there's a lot of discussion, right? In that like little bit of crazy that the founder already has to have to even think, they can be Dion. I think that's part of the challenge is that once a founders take that step, they've already put it all on the line. They're already super exposed and trying to recruit a team and, and building a team, raising money around a thing that they know sort of just like came out of their head. So there's a lot of risk already happening and I think that that's also why as they start to build their brand sometimes they're basically trying to de-risk at that point. They're trying to sort of protect themselves a bit, but I think that that is the mistake—it's it, sort of like it, if your unique spark has gotten you as far as you have and and beaten the odds. The last thing you want to do is is dial back the unique spark that got you there, right? And so, as scary as the whole you know, founder world is, you know, I think you, you kind of just have to to keep doubling and tripling down, but then also learning and being smart. And that's the thing I can get into next, which is a really amazing new world we live in, where there's a lot of data now that, and feedback that you can get from your own brand and your advertising to make sure that you're not just being foolish. The great thing, and we haven't talked a lot of bit about this yet, but a lot of people like ask us, like, like, how do you guys sell that work or how do you get a client to be so bold? And the reality is because the work is incredibly effective, right? If in the first week the Save the Bros launched, like there was tons of complaints and no one saw it, we wouldn't be talking about it right now, right? And there's this new ability to get very quick feedback. What we do now at Humanot is we're dialing that ability up as high as we can. And so what people don't realize is we make lots of different versions of what people eventually see. And we're testing those versions. And we're literally seeing what breaks through fastest. When we're making work on YouTube, we can literally watch our different videos and like how long people stay engaged. And we cut off the ones that, that aren't engaging. Or if they don't capture your attention in those first six seconds, it's not good, right? It's, it's not working. Or if we're realizing that like the sentiment You know, so there's live testing that you can do out in the world. And then there's also like some pre-testing you can do, which we're also doing, where you can get feedback on your work and and realize, oh, you know, this campaign is equally breakthrough, but also kind of like turns people off. This campaign equally breakthrough, but not as much negative sentiment. We look at that as human and go, well, both of them are. We think great work, both of them break through, both of them live up to the to the campaign idea. Like we don't have to, to 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 piss people off if it's if it's not, you know, making the work more effective. And so what it should do, and we could get into all the tools and whatnot, how to do this, whether you're testing packaging design, your website, your social ads, your big expensive video campaign. All of it, you can use really smart tools. And this is not the old days where you go to a mall in Dallas and ask some people who may or may not even be your customer what they thought of your commercial. That It's gotten so much smarter. What we do is we make a lot of things and that it gives us free reign to make even more bold and aggressive. <laughs> things. And then we can see what does the data say about it? And so if I were a founder right now, I would use that reality as a way to make you even more bold and to experiment with your voice and your tone to its furthest extent, share it to a small group of people and see how it does. What we know at Humanaut is that great creative work outperforms not good, crappy creative work all the time. So I'm not worried about like testing, compromising our creative vision. If anything, it validates it. So that would be the long winded way of sort of saying, lean into that spark and try to just keep dialing up and then be smart along the way, as you already are, when you're getting feedback that's pointing towards something not working.
2: I feel like you're preaching what I wish more people would talk about in the world of marketing. Everyone just everyone wants to do what everyone else is doing, but they also want to stand out. And that's such a contradictory thing just a side note someone sent me the liquid death video this week and was like man this is so true i just think their brand they've done a great job of like being very true to who their followers are and their potential customers are and their animated video is though graphic very hilarious that they were just willing to put themselves out there like that so that's awesome you said that was a former member of your team
1: it's kind of cool you know his name is Mike Cesario and he actually worked on St. Row, So it served him a really fun connection with that. But the other thing I'll say just to cap on what you said was your brand can change, right, and evolve. You need to address the challenges right now of what your startup brand needs to do, which is break through and get really passionate people to help come in and grow your brand, right? Like liquid death if they're a massive success, their brand will eventually evolve to sort of like, you know, meet the needs of a wider audience. And they might have all sorts of different packaging designs. And some of them might be more colorful. And the tagline is murder your thirst. And you can change and evolve. You don't have to feel like you're locked into to this thing forever. But you should find what's working and sparky. And if your brand doesn't have that, you basically are going to have to raise a ton of money and and sort of force feed it instead of like bringing some of that magic that is what got you here today
2: i think that's such a great point especially with founders i think it's such a challenge because they want to play it safe i think like you said I, i always explain it that for a brand it's like a human being So many brands are so kind of single facet, like just, they're like, well, we want to be cool. And it's like, well, every cool human being I know can also be funny at times, can also be serious at times. Someone who's always funny is not a very fun person to be around often. And, And we like multifaceted human beings who have different parts of them. And so I think that's such a great point about, about branding. For the agency kind of world, what, what do you think is going to happen with agencies? I, I've seen this trend. I'm sure you're seeing this trend. I'm seeing more and more agencies who are kind of bucking the idea of becoming this big, huge group that, that is all these mini, little mini groups within that are mini agencies within the agency. What else do you see kind of coming to the ad world, agency world?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting and challenging and fun time to be, you know, building an, an basically an advertising agency. But I think that the whole, the whole world is, is exploding to bed and it's, it's really actually good. I mean, it's, you know, th- there's a lot of agencies that are protecting what they, what they know, what they've done for a long time. But I think from day one, you know, we had the luxury of starting an agency when the, the big shifts had already started to happen. And so from day one, you know, our approach has been let's embrace every single new tool or new thing that is we can we can, and let that change happen to us as fast as we can. I think where we started with bringing the majority of our production, our video production in-house. So I sometimes say Ximena is a production company disguised as an ad agency, and it's because the... The tools now have been the maker tools have been democratized to the makers, and so you know it's it's like you the idea that you need an entire agency to just come up with an idea and and then they have to go out and then hire the people to make the idea I, I mean, if you're a startup founder and you're looking for all the ways, the, the bottom line is is really you're looking at every single way of of cutting costs to the bone and being as efficient as possible. By definition, an ad agency is inefficient and and technically, you know, a a really sophisticated and ideally savvy strategic middleman. But I think what's going to happen is what you're basically seeing is that production companies are basically bringing creative services at house because they've realized like, oh, well, we could hire two writers to to make amazing scripts. And then we'd have the scripts and we'd go produce them, like that's smart. And then you're, you're seeing the other, which is the attempt for ad agencies to try to become production companies. I think that one's actually harder than you know the production companies hiring some creatives. What you're also seeing is, is basically that same thing where the brands are bringing their own marketing in-house. Because they're realizing, oh, well, we could hire the creatives. And, you know, we already have all these young people making social content and videos like maybe well, we could make our own videos, too. So I think we just have to accept that there are now a lot of ways of coming up, of having ideas. Founders have great ideas. There's a, and there's a lot of ways of making stuff. And so I think that and then on top of that, you're seeing you're seeing the world of data come through and the ability to measure and test everything. And and really direct to consumer brands have been the ones that are disrupting the industry the most because we work with Bob, which is an amazing company that's crazy fast growing. They make socks, they donate a pair of socks to the homeless community. And I mean they they're, I think they're four almost five years old and they've already sold their 20 million sock. We we helped them celebrate their 10 million pair just a year ago. We were the first time they'd ever worked with an ad agency. So more and more, we're working with these brands where they have a big media budget. They've done, they built their brand in house. They've done all their marketing house and they've worked directly with production companies and I've got to be the guy come along and go, Hey, yeah, now you're going to have to pay for ideas and then pay for us to help you make the thing. you know, and it, it, It sounds crazy to them to me. So from day one, I've sort of realized like, you know, from that perspective, like Humanaut is already behind in in where we need to get to service the needs of brands. And so one thing that that's led us to do is be basically completely project-based agencies. Agencies exist right now, traditionally completely on agency record, really big yearly billings and commitments, just projects. And that gives us the freedom to just come along and help a brand in the exact way they need the help, and also to add the layer of help that they can't do themselves. They probably have an in-house marketing team. They have production partners, but they're missing some some extra elements. And what's great is like we can come along and just do that for them instead of doing their window claims or their banner ads or all the other just marketing stuff that you have to to do. And frankly, you probably should bring in house because you know getting humanauts to do your bear ads and your in-store flyers and your window clings, your coupon things, like you're not using us to our full ability, right? So we basically just really focus on how do we come along and at high level ideas and execute those ideas and then call us when you need us again. You know, we'll retain the relationship based on if we're still adding value to each other as opposed to some contract. And for us, it, it works great. And also we operate out Chattanooga, Tennessee, which just Also means our costs are lower. We can make things from anywhere. And my friends who have new, you know, agencies in New York, startup agencies, they are, when we compare each other's office rent, they get pretty sad because it's expensive to run creative agencies in what are the traditional creative markets.
0: I think another thing you've obviously done, worked with big brands, Lyft and these other ones, and there can be a big advantage from the guilty by association thing. Can you talk about? Working with Scarlett Johansson and doing the SodaStream thing and, and just any advice for the rest of us? If we do get in the position where we get to have interactions or be working with an A-lister like that, what, what kind of lessons do you have for the rest of us?
1: Yeah. And, you know, SodaStream is an interesting one because, you know, they're not a scrappy startup, but they're challenging, you know, a, a mega soda and industry and soda water. And so they definitely were the scrappier that. And the other thing they were doing that was really interesting at the time and, you know, several years ago, but I mean, they were putting a a large and almost majority of their marketing dollars into the Super Bowl. They needed to raise awareness in the U.S. very quickly. And the reality is TV is still a very effective way of raising awareness quickly. But I think that and there's probably a couple like levels of, of this question. But I think what we're always trying to do is if you're working with a celebrity, what you kind of have to realize is that you are borrowing equity from their brand and, you know, minimizing the sort of the exposure of of your own. And so what you want to do then, I think, is try to make that moment an act in culture, right? If if we could get Sarah Johansson and SodaStream to do something together in culture, then that's going to make this more than just an entertaining commercial. And so, you know, we had been working with SodaStream a few times calling out the soda industry for their sort of plastic bottle problem that SodaStream elegantly solves. And, you know, the very first thing we did was we, we created an ad where like a classic Coke and Pepsi Super Bowl commercial and SodaStream Sh- where a Coke driver pulls up and a Pepsi driver pulls up and you think it's one of those classic Super Bowl ads and then SodaStream sort of crashes it and sort of calls out the, the ability to save a bunch of bottles. And the funny thing is we knew that commercial, I mean, that commercial got banned. We were not allowed to air that commercial. And we knew that like when we made it. So we were being really smart about realizing you're on a big stage. You need to do something on that stage that is is we're talking about. And then when we had Scarlett Johansson, we had her call out in one of the cuts that we did, You know, called out Coke and Pepsi. Starts of saying that you know she was going to give them this sort of partnership, SodaStream, sort of the partnership, and we then had that commercial because it mentioned Coke and Pepsi. And guess what? Pepsi used the halftime sponsor in the Super Bowl. Like that, word, don't want you to air that commercial. So then we actually had a YouTube video that said Scarlett Johansson censored you know Super Bowl commercial. And guess what? People want to watch that. And then they're like. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, it's censored because she says Coke and Pepsi, like I'm kind of like annoyed and mad and like what? And so it just created this this conversation. So I would just say that like, don't just use that celebrity moment or that, that big stage moment to just tell people who you are, use it to do something that is provocative or interesting and tells people who you are. And It's just like the life of those two different Super Bowl moments for Soda Street were so much bigger because of the online press and the buzz and the social piece that we got. And that was all orchestrated. I mean, that was we we thought through that. And so just realize that your commercial is a moment in culture that you should capitalize to 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 do something and not just talk about yourself. And do you have any advice of, you know,
0: so Jay and I have a good friend, Lindsay, who's got a a number of. A-listers is her clients for her consulting firm. She helps on the charitable side of things, and we've got to meet some of them here or there. And I I notice there's a real temptation to view celebrities as different, you know? And it's almost, like, easy for the rest of us to objectify them and to think about, like, how great this is going to be for us. Do you have any ideas on, like, the actual interactions with them and having them not feel like we're just using them? You
1: mean, like, on set or, like... in your Yeah,
0: yeah. In in... in yeah, the writing, I mean, in, on set, and just the, the interactions in general of, like, making it, you know, not treating them well, like a stepping stool to our goals. The
1: thing that you have to realize, and, you know, stop, your hands and other celebrities that I've been able to work with, like, they are creative professionals. You know, they, I think we all forget that everything is a job, you know, like, and when you realize that, like, they're showing up and, and doing their job. And you're there as someone in their life doing your job, it really sort of helps make that moment much simpler. And, and you're just, you're working with like a, someone who's really awesome at their job. And I think it was what I loved was just, I mean, even working with, with Scrouching Hands and like she was so pro. And like, it wasn't like I was working with celebrity, I was working with like a really talented actor as if I had cast at someone and wanted to make their mark and say the line right. And realize that like they they have a lot on the line too and they just want to do a good job. They don't want to embarrass themselves. And so the more that you're helping them do a good job is going to help them more than sort of like, you know, going out of your way to tell them like what a big fan you are, or how great you are. It's like, just help them crush it and they will love you. And y- your job is to make them look good and help them do their job. So that helped me. And I think, you know, hopefully it helps other people just realizing that like in the end of the day, they're showing up to work just like you. That's a great piece of
2: advice. Just to kind of wrap up, what's something you love to talk about outside of kind of work or business? Is there a hobby you're passionate about, something charity related? What's kind of your your soapbox outside of your day-to-day agency work?
1: A lot of the work we do at Humanot is, as I mentioned, sort of trying to help Sell and promote things that we believe are good. Our, our, we, on our side, we say like, we work for things that products and, and uh, companies that are making things better and not worse. And there's just a lot. I mean, like making stuff and consumerism ha- is having a huge impact on the planet. There's no getting around it. And there are companies out there that are genuinely solving problems that if more people knew about them, it would move the needle and would start to make things better. And so we talk a lot about, think a lot about the environment and the impact, the things they and I love I love technology and ideas that are are just fixing all the problems out there. And I think it can be you can get when you go down this rabbit hole of documentaries about how everything is, is effed, like you can get pretty depressed. But then there's also this rabbit hole of all these smart innovative people that are, are really coming up with some amazing stuff. We're like, whoa, I didn't know mushrooms could do that. Or I didn't know, you know, you could get a solar panel that small to power X, Y, or Z. I love that stuff. I love the innovation of creating value. And then I have a weird starting hobby, which is I've been down this sleight of hand magic rabbit hole for about two years because I love being able to blow someone's mind. Like that's a feeling I love, like whether it's a TED talk or a book or a comedian or whatever it is, that moment. And I mean, sleight of, like magic in general, as cheesy as it's been sort of in the past is having this resurgence where people are just like messing with your brain and taking all the expectations you have about how the world works and completely flipping them right in front of you. And we've all seen magic like on a stage, but to, to sort of like have a deck of cards or something and just to slowly do something in front of you that makes absolutely no sense. is just really fun to watch what's happening with that person. And it's also in this world of like information everywhere, there's still all this really like secret things and knowledge you can learn that just normal people don't know about. So that's been fun. And then the Instagram and social community is just really rewarding. I I encourage everyone these days to find like a subculture that they can get really deep into. Cause sometimes we just stay too much on the surface with the news and like what your friends are doing. The nerdy subcultures on the internet, whatever it is, whether it's like basket weaving or, you know, animation of a specific old style or or whatever, the people into that are just so interesting and fascinating. The content they're making, I just say, find a subculture and like go way into it because you'll learn a lot about everything else too. And so even that subculture exploring has taught me a lot about the work we do at Humanox.
0: Love it. Well, listen, besides people going to the website, which is humanaut.is, so H-U-M-A-N-A-U-T dot I-S. Maybe maybe for my last question, who are some other brands that you look up to? I I mean, I love the Liquid Death. And any others that are just real standouts for you like that?
1: I think there's some of the the cliched answers like, you know, your your Patagonias and whatnot, what they're trying to do. You know, I love I love what Cards Against Humanity does. I don't think there's that many other brands that, I mean, they, they take it even further. They are truly ridiculous and crazy and it works. They get press. They sort of almost stand for ridiculousness, which I appreciate. And then it's funny to me that, that advertising agencies like brand builders in our world have the worst brands, like they're B2B, like crappily named letters or old guys' names. And so I actually think human we have a goal to sort of shift to be more human facing, to, to sort of start engaging people kind of like a, a Vice. I, I think Vice Channel does a great job sort of how can we create a brand where we're actually going to market interesting, cool, better for you in the world products blatantly. And you could be interested in that pursuit and behind the scenes of what we're doing. And then of course, other, other brands, obviously like Tesla and, and Elon does Leave in advertising. I just think when you really look at the standout brands, they are not doing it anything like our industry is trained to do it. And we just need to like watch that and at least take note of it. At least consider that.
0: I love it. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for making time for this.
1: Yeah, this is fun. And yeah, if anyone wants to, you know, work with us or come down to Chattanooga and hang out with us. We're growing and and constantly looking for great collaborators for the brands and the talent. So we'd love to hear from people.
2: Thanks so much for listening today to The Jay Davis Show. We'll catch you next time.